that's what I'm talking about. Gene Shepard. And, and, we may even get a little 2022 review. We've got Chad Bowers and Frank Edward Norris, as far as I know, in the mix, and we're already a day late. I'm right. By the time I catch up with myself, this show will be happening. I don't know on Sundays or something. Who knows? But uh, yeah, that you're a steadfast, if not fatumult host, BQ River, is here. Oh man, and and Gene Shepard, what a hero! What 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 a guy! Um, and yeah. Uh, especially frank although many of our hosts i mean chad can do it i i'd like to say that i can be like gene shepherd but i have to consciously bang away at it to, or i just i'm pq river no matter which in and of itself can be atrociously problematic because uh, I just some of the things that are in my nature, Lord only knows that they aren't exactly. Well, anyways, <laughs> a little uh, self-effacing humor for the uh, the the audience. <laughs> the audience. Oh boy. Um. Anyways, uh, this is going to be a good one. I mean. 2022 what a year um yeah uh it's just it's really hard i mean at things that frank edward nora visited i mean that's the highlight of the decade so far i mean that was really remarkable and uh, assuredly the highlight of my 2022 unquestionably um but uh, what was it? And, and you can, that even for next week, even if I have another topic, if you're listening and uh, you want to contribute to this mess next time around, which, if you didn't know, you are always invited. The information is at the end of this uh, pr- transmission so to speak and uh, you know I'll give you all the email addresses and dates and I mean there really are no regulations per se this is uh, thanks to uh, the interwebs and uh, at least for the moment really free radio with uh, besides your own common sense no strictures I have only had a couple of back and forths with the uh, the fearless leader of the Overnight Scape Central, Frank Edward Nora. And uh, every time he has been like 10,000% in the right. And uh, I I don't think it ever became any sort of uh, conflict. I mean, I'm not even going to go into the specifics because that's immaterial at the time. But uh, he's been and is uh, more than willing to just let voices be heard and be included. And that's, I mean, what this show is the exemplar of. uh, I kind of think of myself as the ambassador to 
the Overnight Scape Underground system, because there's some remarkable shows, including shows by people who, for, you know, they're busy doing their own shows, what have you, uh, don't always... Um, contribute here. You've got your uh, fuse box people. Shambles Constant is back doing shows again, which is really great. Rubiner did a show not long ago. Um, a trip to Tokyo. Uh, there's all, you can, O-N-S-U-G dot com. Or month by month. That This is also an interesting way to listen. Month by month. Frank Edward Nora posts an entire month of programs that go in chronological order on archive.org. So, you can wander over to archive.org and just start at the first show and hit play, and it's almost like your own instant radio station, uh, the, the night radio of the future, and there's just so much of it. There's so many months you can go back and do that. Or, you know, once you know the hosts you like, on the onsug.com page on the right-hand side, there are uh, links. And you find the host you like, and you click that, and there's all the shows that they have appeared on or are included in, or most of them. Uh, sometimes... Uh, one forgets to tag things, so there's always a few odd ones. There's just so much stuff in the Onsug archive, and it grows on and on. And it would have had, as long as I'm digressing this far, um, the, the low, one of the lowlights of 2022, certainly not the for me, but uh, certainly uh, took some steam out. I had a two-hour segment of a patch recorded which was a second part of a patch i mean i was all ready to have a patch for christmas and i don't know what happened but it it it, it did not save right and what i wound up with was like i've, I've never seen anything like it it's, it's like a file of the same length but there's just little bits sporadically with huge bits of silence in between yeah it, it took it some it was a what do you call it uh, an audacity file and uh, I it's been a very reliable program and when the computer crashes usually it saves things it's been a really truly reliable and free program but uh, this time so I, I just lost all momentum with that. And, yeah, I got to go back and uh, rebuild it. And it could be Christmas in July, but I am hoping over the course of the next uh, few days after we get this in the can uh, to uh, go back and administer in some way to uh, continue. It's, do it, uh, that aside, I, the, the patch thing, really feels good and uh, I would like to intend to do more like that that that's what I'm thinking but we shall see I think or not I don't know it's so hard to tell uh, but 
This time around, we're just going to hand the mic over right now before I waste any more of everybody's time trying to be some sort of uh, digressing Gene Shepherd in my own way. And then I bring it right back to here we are on the Overnight Scape Central, and we almost have a theme for a second. And uh, yeah, handing the baton over to the amazing uh, master of the incredible true facts of space, Chad Bowers. The feeling of Christmas come and gone is like standing in an empty train station. Here you stand, you and me, kid, against the whole damn world. It feels empty, like instructions are still to be received, or perhaps some direct insight into what should be done. We find ourselves with the same repeated problems to solve, the needs of the toilet, the needs of the empty bowl, the cry of an empty mug, the steam coming off hot chocolate that tickles your nose with hints of marshmallow cream and cacao, that fear of death lingering ever-present, a fog which we view ourselves and the world through Christmas. A rebirth, Christmas in the darkest night of winter. Like rugs and carpet in old houses, or mice in old cars, or the problems with the 1917 Sears catalog and the ongoing battle between symbols of things and the things they refer to. Written words are fixed, but the interpretations and evolving agreements well, they slide like Jacob de Groom's arm out of the zone. But you've already swung. Christmas is the promise of spring to come. and It's made in the form of celebration and the hope that we are right to think this way. Against the odds and the apparent cruelness of nature, we dare show faith against these odds as well as our animal instincts to keep that youthful enthusiasm for the new and novel it's a battle against an ever-increasing tidal wave of the same old shitola and ever new forms even if um, your moxie holds eventually you recognize that the victory would be pyric it's pyric as they get because there's no end to the turning of that wheel and that desire for some state of achievement ignores the disaster that unfolds upon realization of the downfall or the good old days or the way things would happen if we hoped they would happen an illustrated version of the same cartoon of failure repeated in endless newspaper strips on a daily basis I did not want to say anything. I, I don't really want to do anything. I, I had no ambition and really no interest. I searched often for scraps of the past where I could find it. Pieces of my past and things that had fallen apart only from what was once a spark of inspiration. I will soon be gone, but... 
all the things I've considered and all the times that we may have had in some future where we meet up. A future where we did all the things we might want to do. Things we never had time or never had money or just couldn't get it together to do. It seemed as impossible as a novel falling out of a blank sheet of paper. It was both impossible and inevitable that this reality would occur. See, only time blinds us from the truth, if at all. And nothing really did come to be. And once it came to be, it became noticed. And the nothing that came to be was not possible. And now, once this and that possibility of existence itself increases to absolute certainty, it happens when the artificial construct of time is removed from the ongoing matriculation of energy gradients. I remember the box and the bags and the smell of plastics, the feel of wood and plastic wood, and the pressure of my pump-action pellet gun against the metal cabinet of a discarded freezer in my grandfather's barn. It was behind the chickens and the pigs and the root vegetables and the bags of DDT, along with a large trunk stuffed with worthless money from another age. In league with the water we pumped and drank from underground. A well down below the hillside full of cows, which filtered the water that collected there. It was a catalog that arrived that year, and the things that we wanted were in that catalog, and it was the young picture of a starlet of radio's golden age. This was 1917, another era, and the cloth and patterns that were ordered from that catalog for dances that no longer exist and for people who can't remember these things. Well, it's a constant past where I look for value in my present. I find that the exchange rate has changed horribly and I'm in debt to a time that never really existed or a happiness that was never really achieved in this present state of mind we rely on all these filtered pasts for our imagined futures the type s dynamo battery was four dollars and 95 cents and thankfully it can be used to generate electricity as well as providing useful rotation to axles under the stimulation provided by the electric charges that would run through its coils. I think I uh, shall like to power a broom that shall sweep mice out of the meeting house without the existence of man. You know, the type of electric broom that would move by means of cogs and belts and gears and motions. It would not be written about in mice history. It would never become a rallying cry for mice hundreds of years in the future as an example of the prejudice shown to them by the builders of such mechanical brooms. It would instead become, like all others, the very same thing. And then, 
as expected, forgotten only a few hundred years later. A few thousand years later, forgotten so completely that it never need existed in the first place. An existence only to be swallowed by one of a very large number of stars that came to exist in the same proximity, moving, the same direct proximity of that very mouse in that very meeting house, much less than the goal of that meeting, which was a meeting to raise money for Miss Von Bauer to purchase the Magnolia model home that she saw in the 1917 Sears home catalog. Oh, yeah, only us. Only you and me remember the pair of jeans on page 55 of the 1981 Sears wish book. The number pictured on the pocket was 32, but you could provide your own number with the mail-in card and even order a second number to be ironed on elsewhere. You'd receive both decals to add to those jeans. And then you and I recall with some joy, next year, 1982, the Sears Christmas book, the one that featured a staggering variety of electronic game fun on pages 634 through 647. I don't think another year ever equaled it. 1983 was doomed before it even went to print. Perhaps coffee was spilled. Nothing would ever be the same. Nothing could put in reverse the things that had happened while looking at inspiration from Meathead holding Gloria in his arms in that pictorial spread in the old TV guide by the toilet in the country. The toilet that flushed into the garden above the creek. The mistakes that made and were made and the mess that remained reverberated through time. We like to think back perhaps with quiet regret, knowing that there's nothing to be done, knowing that it ultimately means so little compared to the hunger of this constant now that this place might as well be waiting on trains that will never come in a train station that doesn't exist. We sit there hoping for some resolution that reality can never provide a wrap-up that we desired that'll never come, like coughing or peeing or sneezing eventually. Uh, one of those things, one of those sneezes, in essence, will be the last. And that session of sneezes can never be said to be part of the same session of sneezes. Eventually, your nasal volleys can no longer be counted as part of the same. And It'll become that time I sneeze before versus the time I sneeze in the future versus the time I'm sneezing now. At some point, you you just have to draw a hard line and take a relaxing seat in one of those beanbag chairs on page 444. Blonde, toe-headed, bowl-cut kid looks up at his mom slash God with some level of guilt out of an expectation, an expectation that he be having fun, that he be enjoying himself and appreciating those chairs. While you and I sit there worried to hell and back that that God is uh, 
gonna spill coffee on her knee. And then perhaps the photographer at Sears will get angry. The 1982 yearbook page 444 will be ruined and never the same. The printer will have nothing to print. And the photo itself will have to be retaken. And all of this, all of this comes uh, together in Frank's mind just before the year 2023 begins. And that's the way it had to be. Because that's the way it was. Now, back to you, PQ. Oh, man. Yeah, like I say, Chad can do like the really strong monologue piece. And uh, there is uh, an example thereof uh, right here for your ears. Uh, we listened together on the Overnight Scape Central. And uh, through time and space, no less, which uh, is another remarkable thing. But we are now both on the other side of that specific line right here in uh, whatever reality you want to speak of. Um, and many other things, things, well, things that remain unknown uh, at this point in the time scale. As I belch, yeah, I was just eating a. Um, it's a New York eclair. They come in the refrigerator section here. They're probably made in like oh, I don't know, Wisconsin or something. But uh, one of the few things on this earth that are cream filled, that it actually tastes like nice cream. I mean, everything that was cream-filled, Twinkies, I don't know whether it was just the changeover from sugar to corn syrup or some other cheapening, but, I mean, the stuff inside of Devil Dogs and Ringdings, uh, which are Drake's cakes, used to be so, oh, man. I just... Yeah, I've gone on and on about ringdings, especially in devil dogs. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, part of my brain says I could live on that stuff, but of course, I know that that's uh, rather ill-advised. And what is it? Oh, yeah, here we go. It's the New York style eclairs. And does it tell me where they're made? Uh no, just but what it's distributed by. Uh, well, Rich Products Company, Buffalo, New York. Uh, sunny and tropical Buffalo, New York. Up the, at the time that I'm speaking this, they have just had a, a horrible blizzard. That, that Oh, that lake effect snow up there. I don't think they ever have what anybody would consider a mild winter, except for, like, Inuits and the people who live there. Um, God, I, I used to really love snow. If I could figure out a way to keep the arthritis symptoms away, I would probably like it again. I, I spent a lot of time outside and in the snow. And, uh, Oh, that's probably... It's just like they say that cracking my knuckles didn't cause uh, the arthritis. Who knows? It's just... And it's one of those weird pains. If you've never had arthritis, I don't think there is any 
medicine you can take that really makes the pain go away. And that includes like all those magical supposed opiates. It's you still, I mean, it might make you not care that you feel the pain, but arthritis pain is, it's, it, it's a phantom pain. And it feels like something that's in uh, usually a joint uh, where, but you know, you, you go to rub it like you would rub a muscle and it's, it's, it's not present for that contact. It's, it's just a strange kind of harsh pain. And what that had to do with anything whatsoever besides again it's just pq river being a sort of gene shepherd here on the overnight scape underground and before i uh, really uh, shame the name of gene shepherd and what he does i uh, feel very comfortable handing the floor over to frank edward nora there was a radio it was a, a black radio I've always been looking for the model. I never have been able to find it. Um, but it was uh, it was sort of like rectangular shape. And it, it did short wave, AM, FM, of course. And I can sort of visualize it. And I think at one point it was like in the bathroom downstairs when I was uh, in the house I grew up in. But I know my father used to uh, listen to Gene Shepard on that radio. Because... Um, though I did not listen to Gene Shepard the first time around, because I was just a little kid. Uh, I know my father was listening. And uh, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think like we had a a bathtub on the first floor, but not the second floor. But there was just a shower up there. And maybe my father would, would, would take bath a bath and listen to Gene Shepard. So, you know, I was born in 67, and Gene Shepard went off the radio in, in 77. And, you know, he was on late at night, you know. As a kid, you don't really stay up that late. But I I know I was sort of aware. I think my father told me about, about Gene Shepard. I remember, I remember my father telling me a story of, that he heard on, on, on Gene Shepard's show. This is her real early memory. And I and I think I did find it. I think I did hear the section, the segment, where uh, Shep was talking about a guy who, uh, instead of going to restaurants, he would just stand outside the restaurants and smell the food. And he sort of, without he was able to get gain sustenance just by like smelling the food from outside. It seems like such a random thing to remember, but maybe my earliest memory re regarding Gene Shepard. And also, my father had a few, uh, you know, like uh, a few books by Gene Shepard. And, uh, you know, as a kid, my parents' bookshelves were always a, a point of fascination. We often talk about uh, being a kid in the 70s, right? You're, you're, you're always searching for some kind of a entertainment of which there's never enough, right? This is before cable television, before the internet, before tablets, iPads, etc., so uh, a bookshelf of stuff that might not be super interesting to a kid is something you always would go to. My father had the book, uh, In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. 
And also a fistful of Fig Newtons, I think. So, you know, and also, and I would say radio in general was, you know, a pretty, pretty important thing. I think growing up, like, we would listen to the radio either in the car or at home. I remember, uh, I know we, you know, Bob and Ray in some form was on. I remember listening to it and I was always fascinated by sort of, you know, what kind of shows people were doing on on, on the air. And of course, you know. Other stuff like Bernard Meltzer, who uh, he was like an online, ad- uh, uh, sorry, a radio like advice guy. And years later, just a couple of years ago, I found out he had this huge feud with David Letterman, and he, <laughs> Letterman would have Larry Bud Melman like like uh, make fun of him. And uh, <laughs> Bernard Meltzer tried to sue Letterman. It was like this whole thing. <coughs> I remember. <coughs> I remember <coughs> excuse me. Um, it's early morning, uh, day after Christmas. We've been partying hard a cup for, for three days now, and it's not going to stop. Today is continuing. Boxing Day, the day after Christmas. Well, we're not celebrating Boxing Day. It's my wife Denise's birthday today, which we did celebrate on Friday, but we're also going to celebrate it today. Anyway, we, we were listening, to, we would listen to Imus, Don Imus, you know, sort of before a Howard Stern and also, I think uh, Godzonka. I I could have sworn that was uh, like it was Imus, but I think it was Gene Shepard, sort of a, a Godzilla combined with a football player named Larry Zonka, something like that. Such random stuff. And of course, you know, a few years later, when Howard Stern arrives, I became a massive fan immediately. So. I'm trying to remember the sort of the sequence of events of how I started listening to the Gene Shepard radio show. Now, just, uh, you know, for some sort of uh, context, uh, you know, Gene Shepard was uh, on New York radio starting in the late, in, in the 50s. Was it 57 to 77 or something in that range? Did a, a late night show that was unlike any other show. It was a, It was a monologue show. And he had sort of legions of fans of, uh, you know, he was sort of, you know, the, I'm trying to think of it, sort of, you know, like that beatnik generation, you know, the, the youth culture, uh, you know, from the late fifties into, into the early to mid sixties before the, uh, the, the hippie revolution, right? Yeah. The beat, the beat, the beat generation just in general, um, and he was doing stuff that was so different and so innovative on radio, but I think that at the heart of it, he was sort of the the greatest of this art of the monologue. Not now, I know there's this is actually I don't even know if what he did ha- is a monologue. I mean, obviously it was, but you also think of someone like a, a, like a Spalding Gray as a monologist. But I believe that like something someone like Spalding Gray writes it all down beforehand and then memorizes it and just sort of recites it or performs it, right? That's not what Gene Shepard did. That's not what I do. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who's able to, uh, just just from just from some outlines, just from, from some notes, talk off the top of their head, right, to an audience uh, through a medium, uh, you know, radio, 
or digital recordings, podcasting, whatever you want to call what we're doing here, and uh, and just sort of talk about all sorts of different topics, right? I think th- that we heard, you know, I think that they said that Gene Shepard just would write down general notes and work from those, not reading off a piece of paper, but just talking off the top of his head. And that's how I've worked, because I was incredibly influenced by him to start the Overnightscape. But it's something that, a particular concept that I've wound up calling rampling, right, which is not just storytelling, because like when Gene Shepard was on Wonderama, Bob McAllister was like, a great storyteller, Gene Shepard. Like he's just a, he just like tells children's stories. No, he does tell stories, but it's not that's not really the the heart of what he was doing. It is really more about a person that is talking about the stuff in their life that they find interesting, right? And it's not one particular topic. It's not necessarily pre-written. Right, and it it is of the most similar uh, genre is, uh, you know, a stand-up comic, right? Stand-up comedy was all was you know in the form that it's one person standing up on stage with one microphone, saying, "How you doing, folks?" You know, j- 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 were you ever driving down the street and 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 you saw someone walking on the side of the street and you know, like just any topic, any obs- like observational humor, um. But obviously, stand-up comedians are largely, uh, you know, memorizing and repeating uh, stories and jokes and, and things like that. Whereas this thing I'm talking about that Gene Shepard did and that I do and that, that many of us do here on the channel is akin to that. But it's just taking something like stand-up comedy and without the need for endless jokes so it, but it almost always involves some kind of humor right you're observing the world and you're commenting upon the world and it sort of just naturally comes with humor right of course gene shepherd was very funny but it wasn't the need to have a, like a joke a punchline you know every 20 seconds or whatever so i don't even know if we have a name for this particular genre as has been kind of um, proven, unfortunately, right, when I was real, I really was one of the first podcasters in 2004, and uh, over the years, the various podcast services, including, you know, Apple iTunes for the, the iPod, where the word comes from, podcasting, and all the different podcasting services, they created these categories and subcategories, what category are you in as a podcast? And there never was a name for what I did or for what Gene Shepard did in the in the categories that these podcast uh, catalogers made. It was always general or general humor or whatever, you know. Then so our society never developed a name for this uh, particular genre, which I think is very telling. You know, I call it rambling, but um. And we know podcasting today is very genre driven. It, it you know you need to have a niche and you need to have a topic. 
And I know some people may be working in the same way, just just talking about whatever, but there is something sort of incredibly, there's something else going on too, right? Because uh, there's a kind of, we would call like in the in the novels of Thomas Pynchon, uh, this idea of a delight in exploring freely the contours and the ins and outs of all of what this reality has to offer. So it may seem like, again, like rambling, like talking about one thing and then go, you know, oh, that reminds me of this. Oh yeah, that reminds me of this. But what we're doing is we're sort of exploring. Uh, right aspects of this world in a free way, <clears throat> and um, you know I know that you might call it stream of consciousness, but I'm not sure if that's actually valid either. Because I remember there was one incident where, real early on, I think, or maybe it was during the Rampler era, you know, like in 2008, 2009, someone tried to introduce their friend to the Overnightscape or the Rampler, the show, the sh- my show, and. Uh, like oh who is this someone just like a like a Robin Williams stream of consciousness kind of shit kind of thing, no thanks. Um, but I don't think it's quite like that, right? Robin Williams is kind of like a weird like free association, uh, kind of out of control thing, and I I don't think I was ever like that, you know. It's also akin to just uh, conversations you would have, you know, with your friends, you know, sort of late night conversations. They just rambled around all sorts of topics. Oh, yeah, I remember that cartoon, you know, when we were growing up. Yeah, you know, pump, uh, Mushmouse and Pumpkin Cat, whatever. What was that one called? They were like hillbilly cats and, and mice. And what the hell? Was there a dog involved? I don't know, you know. So there is there is a whole, it's just weird because it's, you know, we are living in this rich, uh, bizarre world and in the human condition which does result in these landscapes and contours, dare I say, overnightscapes of human experience, of things you love and hate that annoy you, that delight you, and basically dancing around all of the interrelated and interlocking aspects of things along with the central mystery of what the heck is going on here, right, is, is to me, uh, you know, should be a genre unto itself that should have a name. And I would say another hallmark of it that uh, that she- uh, Gene Shepard certainly had, and I and I hope that I sort of embody is, is trying to sort of, despite you know the top the weirdness of the topics we're talking about, trying to sort of, you know, stay on a real, personable, uh, genuine level. You know, I always sort of, you know, I always talk about how you have to um, <clears throat> tear down. The facades as much as you can, right? And try to be, uh, you know, honest. And in addition, and this is, is this, I don't know if this is kind of a, right? You need to, be, you need to be coming from a very honest place, but then you need to have a presentation that is a bit theatrical, which again is all, all, um, <clears throat> it might seem to be, uh, contradictory but i think that in i think that a presentation voice like i'm kind of using now is is is, uh is called for because you are kind of on a stage you are addressing an audience right and this slightly exaggerated way of speaking that a comedian might or 
you know, uh, Gene Shepard did. To me, it just came naturally. It wasn't something that I sort of <clears throat> tried to invent. But it's just something that it just comes. It just I feel like I always want to put on a good show and be interesting and engaging. And I think sort of the the tone of your voice, the rhythm of your voice, and you know h- how you're speaking is important as well. So, sometime around 1999 or 2000, on the very you know early internet, I found a place called Fathead Central. I think that was one of uh, like Gene Shepard's phrases, Excelsior, you fathead, something like that, right? So they were uh, collectors of Gene Shepard's shows, and there were uh, several thousand in circulation, and what they had was a collection of DVD-Rs, right? The burnable DVDs that were uh, max 4.4 gigs, and they had a set of six or seven of them jam-packed with mp3s of gene shepherd shows thousands of them right <clears throat> very few from the 1950s as i recall um really a lot starting in 1960 and then all the way through up to up to, up to 77 and uh, the, the idea was you would uh, contact them and uh this was a time where whatever, seven, seven times, like, like 30 gigabytes of stuff would have been unrealistic to, uh, to sort of transfer over the internet. And so they would mail you the, the, the six or seven DVDs. And what they said was, you know, can you make copies of them for your own personal use and then mail them back? And then we'll mail them to someone else, right? Or I don't know if they wanted you to make another copy of it so they could send it to two people. But it was a real early form of uh you know sort of file sharing and you know all for the the love of gene shepherd and his incredibly unique and important show which is has was preserved by fans recording it it was not officially recorded for any sort of intended release and in fact in 1977 when gene shepherd uh, quit the radio he talked about how he's doing all this work for for decades now and it's just flying out into the air he was sitting in his studio talking. It's being broadcast live, and then it's gone. A massive body of work that he was saying was lost, and it is. I mean, we, we don't have, we have sort of, I don't know exactly what the number is 20% of his shows, perhaps. I don't know. All the rest are lost to history, floating out in space somewhere. Yeah, kind of, kind of similar to uh, Fred Allen's, you know, treadmill to oblivion. Radio being a treadmill to oblivion that uh, you're doing all these recordings. And yes, that some of them were recorded or transcribed, as they said. I believe they called it at one point. And uh, they may have replayed it, you know, on the, you know, a show on the radio in some place. But in general, the shows you were doing, the only way people could get them for so many years was to hear them on the radio because... um Radio shows like that, that had tons of original content, right, that was essentially ephemeral, that most people would just want to hear once, right, and then hear another show. There was no real way to release it to the public because, yes, you could put it on, you know, records, 22 minutes per side, but even one radio show would take a few records, and we're talking about, you know, you're not going to, there would be no market or desire or mass market for 
you know, people owning libraries of hundreds and hundreds of records by someone just rambling on the radio, you know. It just go it just that the the nature of the medium uh it makes it very ephemeral that whoever happens to be listening can hear it. Um and who and if you miss it, well, you'll hear you'll hear the next one and uh you know, the case of this incredibly dedicated following, uh, recording the show off the radio, realizing how important it is, right, kind of around the same time as, you know, The Grateful Dead. Well, actually, this is actually much earlier than The Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead starting in, uh, what, 63-ish? Something like that. Uh, no, yeah. Anyway, don't worry about that. The idea that with The Grateful Dead, people believing it to be a super important uh, creative expression and just recording and maintaining the recordings on a, a fan level, on a sort of ad hoc level, um, are examples of how some of this stuff has been, has been preserved before the technology allowed for mass amounts of ephemeral audio to be shared via the Internet and via large you know, storage devices. So that's how we can hear Gene Shepard's radio show today. And I know more and more episodes are bubbling to the surface all the time. I must admit, I have not really been in that scene or have really listened to Gene Shepard much in recent years. But anyway, I got my discs from Fathead Central and started a process of listening to every single one of them, right? It took a couple years and, you know, I it's been a while now. The year 2000, just a distant memory, but... If I had to guess, it was from 2000 to 2001 to 2002 that I was listening. And <clears throat> I know that I got a real early MP3 player called the Intel Pocket Concert. And this was an MP3 player that had 128 megabytes of onboard memory. And that was it. There was no, like, you couldn't plug in a card or anything. And so I'd transfer some Gene Shepard shows to it and... Uh, listen on my commute into New York City, right? I was working in New York City, and so I would listen on the bus and walking around the city and uh, did this for a couple years. And every single one of his shows is so interesting, so different, so engaging that I, uh, it was just an incredible, incredible experience. Now, right, around the same time I was doing BluffCosm.com, my my first foray into internet radio, and uh, <clears throat> basically I had a co-host, right, Peter Litke, someone to talk to. I felt I needed a co-host to talk to, right, in order to um, create shows, right, and that, I think, <clears throat> if you think about even Howard Stern, he needed to structure his show so that he's having a conversation with Robin Quivers, right, as 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 a way to the backbone of the show, but Gene Shepard uh, was able to talk without talking to anyone specifically. That is where the monologue style comes in, right? And that is where, right, if you're able to do a show by yourself, it becomes much, you don't have to deal with another person and their schedule and their issues and everything else in order to do a show, right? <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> for me, uh, in uh, in March of 2003, I had kind of completed 
listening to that entire collection. And I felt that I learned by listening to Gene Shepard how to do this, learning by example, right? I would never have figured this out just on my own. And most people find uh, this monologue format of talking off the top of your head into a tape recorder without anyone, without you talking to anyone, very counterintuitive at first. And it is. It is really counterintuitive. Um, it's, it's a strange medium. But if you can get into it, it basically right, allows you to have a, a, the strongest connection with your audience because you're speaking directly to them. And you can record by yourself on your own time. And that really has been the formula for the Overnightscape in the past, uh, near, well, almost 19 years, right? It'll be 19 years in a few months that I've been doing the Overnightscape. And uh, so what happened was I had bought all this equipment for my Bluff Cousin, State, Bluff Cousin Station, like a I wanted to be able to record and get that kind of radio sound that Gene Shepard had because, you know, he was, you know, broadcasting and they had all those dynamics, you know, you uh, the levelers, the compression and all that stuff to make it sound like that, that radio voice. And uh, so I bought this little Joe Meek channel strip and I bought the uh, 55SH microphone and um, <clears throat> a Behringer mixer and, uh, you know, I re recorded on my computer and, uh, you know, I was, uh, I had all this for about a year. Finally, there was that one day I was coming home on, I think on the PATH train. And uh, I just wrote down, like, how about a, a monologue show with just me? It could be called Night Scans or The Overnightscape. So actually, I, since I had the equipment and my wife was had a bowling that night, I came home and just recorded the first episode. Having woken up that morning, it was March 13th, uh, 2003, having woken up that morning and not even known I was going to create this project, but it was all because, um, you know, I felt that I could do the monologue format because I had listened to Gene Shepard. Um, and so then that was it. So I would say that uh, she uh, Shepard's style, right, I was very inspired by his uh, just talking about the stuff in his life. But when it came to his storytelling, which I came to understand, he was uh, creating these stories <clears throat> that were not that, that were basically fictional. But he was sort of placing himself in the first person. You know, I was a kid, see, but a lot of it was fictional. Right. And um, I never adopted that that side of it, like trying to sort of mix uh, fiction and reality. I've always felt that to be as bizarre and, and, and out there as what I talk about can be, I always want my presentation level, like I am just, you know, it's just me talking about stuff that I find interesting, but I'm not, lot, I don't want to say lying, but I'm not deceiving anyone and I'm not playing games, I'm not doing hoaxes, I'm very straightforward on the, on the main level. And then what I talk about is where stuff gets weird, right? Um. So that's one aspect that I that I would never do and something that, you know, over the years, like with all the whole thing with Andy Kaufman and all that stuff and all the, the love of hoaxing and mysteries, I, I always said it's not my thing. I'm not into that kind of stuff, you know. I think that there's something very valuable. So I basically I basically uh, learned from Gene Shepard and then I sort of took it in my own direction, right, which I think is what everyone does when they're inspired by someone.
Now, anyway, uh, yesterday was Christmas, and of course, Gene Shepard lives on in mass pop culture through one thing, which is a Christmas story, a movie that has only gained popularity every year as it goes on uh, to where it becomes, you know, I, I don't, I didn't catch it this year, but apparently they, they show it for 24 hours on one of those channels like TBS, a cable television channel. The movie A Christmas Story, created by Gene Shepard, based on the stories he told, loosely based on his own childhood in Illinois in the 1930s. And uh, the movie was just a real classic, narrated by Gene Shepard. Gene Shepard appears in the movie in the department store on, on the line for Santa. And uh, so it, essentially, it is sort of almost sort of just like one Gene Shepard radio show. Uh kind of made into a movie and unfortunately it did not lead to any sort of mass understanding of that there's this huge archive that exists out there of so much more than the Christmas story but <clears throat> most people that I talked to they never heard of him oh he's the guy that oh he's the guy narrating oh of course I've heard him but the movie has gotten to the point it's just so over exposed and it's become kind of annoying there was a uh, a, a a sequel of sorts that just came out and my i didn't try to watch it my brother watched it and he got about five minutes in and he had to he had to stop it was so bad in fact my wife was going to show it at, at her job at the nursing home and one of her employees said oh i started watching that it was so bad i had to turn it off so she decided to nix the whole thing it stars what peter billingsley at his current age, so it takes place in the seventies with a grown-up Ralphie. Uh, you know, I understand people love this movie so much that they want to keep making all these sequels. Apparently, there's other sequels as well. Um, but any, I, I, I don't know. It's just it's a weird footnote to the whole Gene Shepard thing. Um, that uh, you know, the Christmas story is such a huge, a huge thing in pop culture, and so people are so familiar with it. You'll shoot your eye out, all that kind of stuff. And I double dog dare you. <laughs> not, people not realizing that this is just a tiny sliver of what Shep has to offer, you know. Now, I know there was a book about Shepard's life that I did not read because, like so many other celebrities, he apparently had a dark side and had a kid that he refused to acknowledge and was kind of a bastard and oh my god I don't even know what um and there's interesting I mean there's like a there's a tape of him doing live a live show at Princeton University in 1999 I think I think so or 94 or something but he's he's like mentioning the TV show Friends he's like have you seen this TV show Friends like who has friends like that it was so disconcerting hearing him talk about what was then, you know, 90s pop culture. Um, <clears throat> and there's a few off-color comments in there that wouldn't fly today with our sensitive times. But anyway, I don't know that I really care to... I mean, I, I, I would, of course, like to... You know, like one of my other heroes, Walt Disney, I read the book, you know, that detailed all of his dark side, which was very dark. And uh, I felt it helped me understand him more. Um. But anyway, Gene Shepard was just sort of operating in this, I think, still fairly misunderstood and mis, uh, an undefined genre, right? 
that I certainly have embraced and changed my life incredibly. But like listening to his show, I, I remember really the one era that stands out to me as my favorite, I think it was around 1960, where he would talk about the scene down in the village, Greenwich Village, and um, he did ads for the paper book gallery, right? I guess what we know now as paperback books were called paper books, and they were uh, you know, more inexpensive than hardcover books. <coughs> and uh, it was a place people hung out that were sort of like, you know, the intellectual, the cool crowd and everything. The paper book gallery, you know, down, I, I think it was down on like uh, by 8th Street and Broadway, somewhere down there. Then also the Yin and Yang restaurant, which was on, I think, 12th Street. And uh, one of those, you know, maybe by Thompson or Sullivan, one of those streets. Because I, I used to live down there, too. It's weird because I sort of have lived and worked in the places that Gene Shepard was 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 living in and working in. I when I was in college, I lived on, uh, by Thompson and Houston, which wasn't far from all that stuff. And uh, working in Midtown, I would always pass by his building, which is at, at Broadway and Fortieth, the the W O R W O R building where he uh, he would broadcast from. Interestingly, on the same exact block on Forty First. Uh, is a plaque of of the uh, Orson Welles Mercury Theater that used to be there. So another, uh, you know, so, someone that I also look up to as as sort of a creative mind, a creative soul, Orson Welles. Though I'm certainly not as familiar with all of his work. Just on one block, you know, it's wild. Um, and of course, we learned so much about the world of what you know that the time period he was talking about, talking about the little things the minutia, the people. And uh, so it's a personality. It, it provides information, companionship, perspectives on the world, philosophies, and so much stuff that one person can do. You know, we. this is also sort of a, a, a narrative about a, a, a singular creative mind producing something, right? And when you go to see a movie and there's that, credits at the end with thousands of people that made this one work um, whereas like a, a novel for example is often written by just one person and yet a movie requires thousands of people and the idea that a single creator right you'll, you'll hear the phrase you know too many cooks spoil the broth right you know so the idea is that if you have only one creator you're getting a very pure kind of a creative output Good or bad, it'll be very pure. And I think there's just a certain romance to the thought that you can produce works just on your own. And uh, I found that, you know, I've done writing and stuff, but this form of uh, expression, just, just talking into a, into a recorder and, and, you know, about all sorts of different topics, um, I find is, for me personally, uh, the absolute... The, that is the medium that I believe I can create the best work in, and uh, bar none. I mean, I, 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 you know, I really gave up on my ambitions for fiction because I realized I could write fiction, but it would be <coughs> mediocre fiction. Meanwhile, for whatever I'm doing here, I, I'm doing, uh, uh, I think, good work in this medium, which is very misunderstood and very disrespected. And even undefined. So it's not even being disrespected. People don't even know what this medium is, right? 
or, or what this genre is. Anyway, I wanted to briefly go over the the year in review, and uh, you know, it's hard. It, you know, you think back a whole year. What do I remember from this year? But of course, I have a show called The Overnightscape, and it is basically like my uh, backup memory, right? And I have a page, theovernightscape.com slash art, where I put all the show art just in a grid, and I can look back, and uh, yeah, the first episode was called Mix Mix of this year, right? That's sort of an anagram for whatever, MMXXII, the, the Roman numeral for 2022, I'm just going to scroll through here and see. Uh, yeah, so basically, so 2022, in, the year in review, this was the big year for my uh, Tapeland video project. And I got a lot of these videos. I think in December 2021, I got out the um, the Doctor Who fan film, right? Polarized Worlds. And then I'm seeing here the the whole, uh, the, e the complete evil farm, which was a massive work, right? Also, uh, the complete... Uh, Weird University, and I have so much. I have so much more video to do, which I will do in 2023. But that was a big thing this year was the Tapeland video releases. Scrolling through here, so I, I'm just looking at all the show art I did. Yeah, oh yeah, look, that's when we went to that cool uh, garden in town, and of course, the biggest thing this year was going out to see PQ. I'll go out to see you, PQ, in in your town of Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, with, with the New Mexico episode. That was a major event. You know, I got COVID. I was going to go to Texas and then New Mexico, but it worked out. So I had to skip the Texas part, but I went to New Mexico. Yes, I did get COVID this year. Uh, you know, I was talking to a few people. I know that there's actually still a few people that never got it, you know, which is good. It's good not to get it. But anyway, what else did I do here? I went to some shopping malls, went to uh, the Edison Labs, walked around New York City, Got together with the three weasels, weasels of nuclear ambition. That was a good one. Went to the zoo. Then, then the Chattanooga trip with my wife Denise. That was amazing. And of course, uh, I would say another big thing that just happened the last couple of months is the, is the final, the completion of the solitaire game Flea Devil Solitaire, which I'm still playing constantly. And huge, huge that Flea Devil got got finished. And um, you know, I really feel like you know. This this year was it feels like sort of on an energetic level or a higher level feels like it was uh, a time of sort of clearing out old energies like in preparation for new energies. It also was the year of the the rise of the AI imaging software. I got into Midjourney in a big way, and then I got kind of just really d disgusted with it at a gut level, which was very weird. It wasn't even something I I I would have thought I would continue to embrace it. Um, and I think that it's, this is a big start to this year, I think will be looked at as, as sort of the beginning of an accelerated AI revolution that's going to, I think, continue to impact the world for the next couple of years. Hopefully not in the biggest way. Hopefully we don't hit the singularity for a few more years, but when that singularity hits, it, it feels like it could hit at any time to really change the world. But we're still in pre uh, singularity times. Uh, but so I, 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 in general, I'm pretty happy about this year. I think it's it was a, uh, it was a definitely good year. Solid bunch of shows. Continued doing the exit ramp. Of course, we're still doing. We're continuing to do the central here, which is a fantastic show. It's such a long history. 
Love the Central. Thank you so much, PQ, for all your work on Overnight Cape Central. And uh, I really look forward to 2023 as uh, I, I, I just feel good about it. There's, I think there's some good vibes coming. And we're going to keep doing, I'm going to keep doing the same stuff, keeping uh, the Overnightscape Underground going. And, uh, you know, I the book, right, the first edition of the book came out October 2021. The On Sug, a radio station inside a book. And the next edition, I think, is going to come out this coming summer. And uh, already started a lot of work on that. And I think it's going to be great. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's a... Uh, it's already coming along to be uh, an amazing uh, next edition. Anyways, Shepard 2022, it's all intermingling together like a cake of yeast, as, as Shepard would say, <laughs> into 2023. Back to you, Peak. Oh, the microwave is making cocoa and PQ River is loco. Yeah, da 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 da. Well, no, it's not snow. We we did not get snow here. Uh, in fact, it was just I that cannot complain. The coldest I think it hit at all in the cold snap off a week we just passed was about oh twenty one degrees, and it didn't. I think that was one night. It was well above freezing every day, and it's already hitting towards fifty in the day again. So yeah, that's so much for all of that. That that's oh man, Frank. Yeah, he he Frank has got i mean his own cadence and like he says his own delivery but that shep's feeling is definitely there and i too i think when i got i i somewhere unless i finally disposed of them had three of those uh audio dvds that frank spoke of or audio cds the, the things with the Gene Shepherd shows on them that came from those people. But when they sent them to me, uh, it, I, I must have been the end of the line because by that point, they were all freely available online. Uh, I never, no one ever wanted them. Uh, they they. They didn't come with any letter. There was no. I, I figured eventually I would be contacted and I'd send them on to some next person. And I left them sitting on a shelf, waiting for there's some determination. But you now this was way late in the game. I was already here in Tier C, so that would have to be what like two thousand six seven or eight somewhere in there so yeah i think by then even that's maybe that site uh went down there used to be that incredible index site which is where i first listened to the shows uh around 2003 ish give or take somewhere in there was when i discovered that multi-page site with probably i'd say 80 percent of the gene shepherd shows we now have access to i mean there have been a few additions and discoveries 
uh, in bunches over the years. I mean, Max Schmid somehow, uh, who is on one of the New York stations. Is it WBAI? But um, he comes up every so often with a little cluster of uh, unheard, at least by me, Gene Shepard shows. Um, and that they're out there. I mean, oh, yes, the uh, hot cocoa is hot, but um, uh, that that was awesome. And um, the, yeah, let's hang on a second. I'm going to use our magic. If this microphone would actually reach where I need to go, it'd be one thing. But let me get the cocoa, and uh, I'll pause this a second, and uh, we'll continue. Choco Maltilicious. Yeah. Um, so, yep, this is where we uh, discuss next week's Overnight Scape Central. And, of course, I thank Chad and Frank for their participation here. And now, you. That's right, you. Even if this is weeks, months, years in the future, if there's still an Overnight Scape Central, I'm inviting you to address this next week's topic. And uh, the email address, uh, dog willing, I will still be here and um, functional and doing this because I am driven. And uh, this, uh, who'd do the central if PQ River wasn't doing the central? And you, Frank thanked me. I mean, some, oh, how often do you get gratitude for doing something you like doing? I mean, sometimes my time gets squozen and my brain gets squozen. Uh, but this is, if I could do this for a living... I mean, there are people who somehow figure out how to do such things, but uh, that would mean I would have to have commercial considerations and all that, and I, I don't see it with this. I, I don't see a hook that would make uh, uh, Mr. Average run out and spend a lot of money for a Patreon or something, and I seriously wonder if this became something that I had to do, whether that would change my entire approach to it anyhow. So there's that. And uh, yeah, next week, next week, next year on the Overnight Scape Central. Yeah, um, gosh, we're gonna do one of those music shows. And uh, yeah, uh, I... Uh, bands and songs and songs and bands and uh, yeah one of those music shows right here next week and uh, here's all of the logistics because yes this is the time uh for absolute certainty in inclusion uh january 3rd 2023 uh anytime in uh, the evening time uh, even at the early morning of the fourth you're a lead pipe cinch to be part of the adventures um, as we uh, have misadventures with our uh, musical tastes and such. And let's see, the email address, of course, remains kpqr.torc at gmail 
kpqr.com. Yes, kpqr.torc at gmail.com. And um, there's no restrictions as long. I mean, if you just have a few things, that's I don't feel compelled that you have to do some elaborate anything. Uh, do your thing. That's really what this is an outpost for. Um, this is a space. And it's not, you know, it's safe. It's not particularly safe. I might uh, have some comment after what you say. But uh, if this is a place where I've yet to censor anybody who has contributed uh, on this show. And I don't know whether that's woeful because nobody had the, uh, it's just nobody had the gumption or whether I've been that, all that kind. <laughs> One can never tell. But next week on the Overnightscape, you do that. Once again, that email address is kpqr.torc at gmail.com. Um, please, I, I, I would really be nice to have a, a huge, sprawling New Year's episode to... Uh, uh, kick off another year of Overnightscape Centrals with you. So uh, other than that, um, I am deeply appreciative that you're still listening to me drivel on. And until we meet again together, let us set the controls for the heart of the fun.